Are we on? Okay. All right. I, I waited until I got done singing before I turned on the mic. Uh, yeah, trust me. Yeah. Morning. All right. Okay, uh, I'm reading Genesis chapter 47, verses 13 through 31. Right? Did it add any more? Okay. Uh, this is called Joseph and the Famine. Okay. Uh, oh, wait. Everybody ready? Close enough? Okay. Uh, now, there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they brought, bought. Sorry. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. 19. Uh, why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be so desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe. On them the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them, from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests did he not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on that allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives May it please my Lord, will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day, that Pharaoh should have a fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt, Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called to his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, 
Put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon his, the head of his bed. The end. No, no, I got it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Liam, when I hang out with your dad, I, I start to understand you more and more. So, yeah, just praying for you, buddy. Um, so, uh, thank you all for coming here this morning to Family Church. Uh, my name is Dean, pastor here. We're going to, we have this week and next week left in our Joseph series uh, covering Genesis chapter 37 through 50. So if y'all thought we were getting away with just the scripture Chris read this morning, I hate to break it to you. We got a few more verses to cover, but we're going to get there. It's going to be awesome. We have this week and next week to, to finish the book. And this week we're going to look at blessing. And so the verses that Chris read to open up, we looked at how, um, how this blessing is a blessing of provision. God enacts a blessing of provision, providing for the people of the land and for his people, Israel, even more. We see in verse 13 that there was no food in the land. The, the Egyptians had run out of money to buy grain. Joseph sets up the system, uh, and we've kind of got to give uh, Pharaoh and Joseph a little credit here in that they're not hoarding everything for themselves, but they are making it a business out of, out of the seven years of abundance that they stored up. And now here we are in the time of famine. They're making it a business and, and selling some of this grain for money. Well, they, they eventually run out of that money. And Joseph, the shrewd businessman that he is, he then has them sell a few more things. He has them sell uh, first off uh, their livestock, their cattle, then themselves and their farmlands. They literally become bond servants uh, to, to, to Pharaoh in order to pay back their debts. Now, what Pharaoh did is Pharaoh kept 20% and allowed them to keep 80%. Uh, they kept back one, one, or they gave Pharaoh one-fifth as, as sort of a tax, and then Pharaoh allowed them to keep four-fifths. Um, this isn't necessarily wrong. There's nothing wrong with exacting some interest. And, and the truth is, uh, Pharaoh and Joseph in that time, with just the way that time was, they could have kept back a lot more. So sometimes when we complain about giving 10% to God, at least, at least it's not Pharaoh who's demanded 20%, right? You know, and 10%, just so you know, just uh, this isn't a tithing sermon, but 10%. Is, uh, is, is a barometer. It's really an Old Testament law. I mean, in the New Testament, tithing is only mentioned once. And in the New Testament, all the Old Testament laws are taken to another level. If you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Um, if you are angry with somebody, you've committed murder. Huh? I murdered like 12 people this morning, you know? Like, I don't know if y'all have. Like, I mean, some of y'all have murdered me, you know? And so it's just, so here's the deal. Like, when we, when following Jesus, it's no different with, um, with giving back to him. God demands uh, generosity, and he wants us to be cheerful givers. And so what we see here is that Pharaoh and through Joseph is enacting these reforms, 
And it said that they, um, they told him in verses 23 through 26, you saved our lives. They told Joseph, you literally saved our lives. They called Joseph a savior. And what we're going to look at next week is how much of Joseph's story mirrors that of Christ and how Christ is the greater Joseph. As we look next week at both Jacob and Joseph uh, dying and being buried, we'll wrap up kind of a summary of the whole book. But what we see here is they, they called Joseph a savior because he literally saved their lives by providing them food. The, the Pharaoh and the leaders didn't have to do this. Uh, they didn't have to loan out this food at interest, even when all the money and the livestock, everything was gone, but they did it. Uh, it doesn't mean that they were great people either. Uh, the history tells us that uh, the Egyptian rulers were quite harsh, but what we do see is that is that God provides through Joseph. It doesn't necessarily mean these people are pleased with the reforms that Joseph has made, but it does mean that they're thankful that they are still alive. How many of us are thankful that we're breathing this morning? Like we, we need to be thankful, right? You know, be thankful that you're alive. And you want to come next week because we're going to be talking about death, you know? And so y'all are excited, right? You're excited about burying and dying next week. So, but it's a reminder of legacy and what God is doing. Every time a life comes to an end, how many people in here are buried a loved one, right? Most of us have buried a loved one. And when you bury a loved one, it's, Yes, it's painful, but you get to reflect on what all of life has been, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the thing is, you get to see, even through the bad and the ugly, how God was there. And you also get to see and remember the good things that God did. Sometimes you have to get to the end of your life before you're reminded of how God has provided. And so what we see here is in verses 29 through 31, uh, or actually in verses 27 through 28, Israel settled in this land of Goshen. They gained possessions, it says, and they, they were fruitful and they multiplied greatly. This is an allusion all the way back to God's promises to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1. The very first thing God tells man, I tell this in every marriage counseling session, right, Elijah and Anna, like the very first thing that God ever told man and woman was to be fruitful and multiply. This is God's design and desire for his people. Now, that's not always progeny. That, that doesn't always mean that you have physical birth because there are some many godly men and women who haven't been able to have kids uh, that we know. But what it does mean is it goes further and it says, subdue the land. Everything's subject to you. You have dominion. It means that we take care of all that God has provided for us. It means we take care of our household. Actually, it means that we provide for others, and it means that we serve others when there's a need. That's why Scripture says that a man who doesn't provide for his household is worse than, worse than an unbeliever. I don't know if y'all know that's there. Uh, wives, you don't need to yell at your husband this week using that. You know, but if a, if a man doesn't provide for his household, he's worse than an unbeliever. We're also not supposed to be lazy and slothful. The Scriptures tells us, Paul says in the book of Romans, that we're not supposed to be lazy or slothful in our zeal, and that we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to contribute to the saints, and we're supposed to sacrificially give. And what we see here is that through that design and that promise, God provides for his people, Israel. Now, this may be confusing because Jacob, the patriarch, his name is also Israel. 
and the nation takes on his name. We're going to look at the, the blessing of his sons today and how the nation takes on that name through the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's why we even have, uh, we, we know of an Israel today. Not saying, uh, not I mean, Israel have always been a people on the move, and uh, God has always provided for them, and they have rejected God every time. It's, it's the legacy of, the unfortunate legacy of creation is that we're always in rebellion against the creator. Now, I don't want to touch on a hot button issue, but even the war that we watch every day unfolding in the Middle East, we've got to understand these are two people groups that have rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when you do that, strife enters. It doesn't even mean that if you follow the Lord in name only, and you're a cultural Christian, well, then you're still rejecting Jesus. That's why, I mean, some of y'all are, are too young to remember this, but uh, Ireland, Northern Ireland and Ireland, Protestants and Catholics have been killing each other for decades, you know? Christians, you know, go all the way back to the Crusades, right? Christians came and murdered uh, Arabs. Like, that. that's literally our history. When we don't keep God at the center and we don't keep the... the the thing about Jesus is the reason he is different than every other claim to deity on planet Earth is the way that he rules is by he laid down his life. No other ruler did that. Every other ruler demanded submission, demanded authority, demanded subjection, but Jesus lays down his life. We're going to get to that even more next week. That's why Jesus is the greater Joseph. Joseph is an admirable person to watch in the story. But Joseph's not perfect. Hate to break it to you, Joseph's a jerk. Like he is. Like he does some things. Abigail is shaking his head. But you know, like it's a, uh, trying to get across the point that he's not perfect. He does things not always the right way, but he is a person to follow. And that's what is incredible about the story of the Bible is it doesn't give us a perfect portrait of man. We're going to get to the blessings of the sons here as we close our message today. And you all know why Jacob has 12 sons and one daughter? It's because he slept with four different women. God didn't design it that way. God didn't design three Eves, right? He didn't design four Eves. No, he designed Adam and Eve. And even, jo even, even Jacob, father of Israel, it means that even, even the, the, per the namesake of the nation of God's people is still a dirty, rotten sinner. In fact, Israel, y'all know what it means? Wrestles with God. And they're still wrestling with God to this day. And we all wrestle with God. But this is why we see in this text a reminder that he's provided. And while the people of Egypt were suffering, God's people in Goshen, they were being fruitful and they were multiplying. This will lead us into Exodus chapter what Laura told me. Oh, we should keep on going with Exodus. And I'm like, we'll be in the Old Testament forever. You know, I like to kind of go back and forth between Old Testament and New, but um, if we went to Exodus chapter 1, well, Israel was so fruitful and they multiplied so much that it becomes an issue with the next Pharaoh down the line where he sees them as a threat. So now what we see is in chapter 48, which I'm going to 
not going to read every verse in chapter 48, but I'd, I'd encourage you to go home and read these chapters. But what we see in chapter 48 is not only is there the blessing of provision, there's the blessing of adoption. Blessing of adoption. What happens in chapter 48, let's look at verse 1. It says, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father's ill. So he takes his two sons, Manasseh being his oldest, and Ephraim. And it was told to, to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. So the sons come, and they, and they see their grandfather, who's very much near death. And what we see is in verse 3, Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me and was at, in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply. You see that promise kind of being repeated over and over. And then he says in verse 5, and now your two sons who were born in the land of Egypt, not even in the promised land, but in the evil land of Egypt, before I came to you, are mine. What we'll see is, is that Ephraim and Manasseh are included amongst, uh, Jacob literally considers them his very own. Their allotted land, when Israel finally goes into the promised land, their allotted land claims. And what we see here is that he positions the two boys and he positions them in a way where he wants his father's hand on the, on the oldest to give the blessing. Because the blessing of a patriarch was, was irrevocable. Words have meaning. I have to look at that all the time because like my words can tear down and they can build up. It's just a reality. And so what we see here is dying patriarchs, their words have meaning. And so what you see here is he puts the right hand on Manasseh, but Jacob switches his hands up and he blesses Ephraim. And they're like, what in the world, Jacob? You stole the birthright from your brother Esau and now you're switching it up again? What we see here in the story is not necessarily the contrivances of man, but what's the story of all of Genesis? that God takes even the contrivances of man and makes it good and holy for his glory. Next week, the summary verse of all of Genesis is Jacob said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Romans 8, 28, that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he switches the hands and he blesses them. Let's look at that blessing and and prayer in verses 15 through 16. He said, and he blessed Joseph afterwards, and he says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been a shepherd all my life to this day, Jacob very much knew from personal experience what it meant to be a shepherd and what a shepherd did. Um, the angel, and, and sometimes in the Old Testament when you see angel, there's a blurred line between the angel and God, because the angel is a personal representative of God. The angels who has redeemed me. Y'all know this is the first and only occurrence of this word goal in the book of Genesis for redeemer. Y'all ever heard that word? G-O-E-L. That's the Hebrew word for redeemer. That word comes into play when we're in the book of Ruth. We talk about a kinsman redeemer. Uh, the here he is, he's reminding them that God is their redeemer from all evil 
Bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on. The name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow in multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob adopts these two boys. They are undeserving of adoption. But Jacob graciously includes them in his blessing. And we'll see that these two boys are blessed and Joseph, but some lists of the 12 tribes of Israel actually list these two boys as separate tribes. And so you're like, okay, there are 12 boys, you know, and now he's adding two more. Well, doesn't that bring us to 13? But we'll see Levi doesn't get any allotment to the land. And if you need to know why, read your Bible. But yeah, I'll tell you, you know, Levi ends up losing it. And we're going to look here in a moment. And then Levi, not all is bad with Levi, because Levi's descendants are from Aaron, and uh, Aaron becomes the first high priest of Israel, and Levites, godly Levites, end up being priests in the promised land. So what we see here is that Jacob is a picture of what God does for you and me, adopting us into his family, even when we don't deserve it. It's why Romans 8, verse 14 through 18, for we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we are, might be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed to us. Y'all, that's probably a verse that we need to speak over our lives over and over and over. I, 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 the junk I'm dealing with in this life, the jerks that I'm dealing with in this life are not compared to the glory and the goodness of God that lies before me. There is a blessing in adoption. Now we're going to read chapter 49, and we're going to see that there's a blessing in promise. Like I said, dying patriarch's words have meaning. And what we're going to see here is we're going to look at the blessings of Jacob over his 12 sons. But it's kind of funny because there's, it's a mixture of blessings and curses. And we're going to understand why, at the end of this time, why some of those were curses. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. Actually, I'm going to just read, and we're going to pause per each kid here in chapter 49. So if you have your Bible, read this with me. Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves. This is like... When, when I yell upstairs, Laura, right? Ross boys, assemble. That, that's kind of my thing. I, I yell out, Ross boys, assemble. So he's saying, gather my sons together that I might tell you what will happen in the days to come. Not only are these, these aren't mere wishes that Jacob has for his sons. His words have meaning. These are literally blessings and curses that will reflect their future. There's a predictive element in this. I would say there's a predictive element, but there's also an observative element in this because there's nothing new under the sun. And the patterns that are repeated in one generation usually flow to the next. We're going to really summarize that here at the end as we land the plane. He says, assemble and listen. O sons of Jacob, so next time I say Ross boys assemble, it's biblical, right? He's saying assemble, you know, 
Avengers Assemble, that's kind of where I get it from, but assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you're my firstborn. The firstborn son gets, gets the heritage, gets the legacy. Honestly, a lot of that's still reflected in nowadays, whether the firstborn son, the firstborn daughter, usually has the responsibility when it comes to like being a head of a state or something like that when a person passes away. And y'all know, Colden, Colden can tell you how much he loves being the oldest child, right? Yeah, Laura can tell you she's the oldest of five, how much she loves, she's telling her son all the time. The junk you have to put up is part of being the oldest. There's a certain responsibility and weight that comes with being the oldest. He says, Reuben, you're my firstborn, so this is where all the blessings supposed to go. We'll see a different story. You're my firstborn, my might, the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. You're like, oh, man, it's going good. It's going good. Here we go. Verse 4. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went to your father's bed and you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Earlier in the book of Genesis, we see that, actually, I'll read Genesis chapter 35, verse 22. When Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and laid with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. His, very, his oldest son slept with his favorite wife, which was, Le, which was Rachel, Rachel and Leah, that Leah, they both had two concubines. He sleeps with his father's favorite wife, Rachel's concubine, whom his father also fathered children with. Y'all, the Bible doesn't hold anything back. This is gross stuff. Like, this is gross stuff. It shows you how good God is. So because of his inability to control himself, self-control is part of being a is part of being a good leader and a good follower of Jesus. We haven't been given a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power, love, and a sound mind, self-control. We all need to battle for self-control. Hey, I'll, I'll admit my weaknesses. I battle for self-control over the table all the time, right? We all, whether it be sex, whether it be pride, whether it be uh, your indulgences and things that you like, we all battle with self-control. And because of, of, of Reuben's inability to control his sex and his urges, he loses his right to inheritance. But it's not good for the next two brothers either. Simeon and Levi, verse 5, are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel, O oh my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willingness they hamstrung oxen. If you all know what it means to hamstrung cattle, it means that you cut the tendon and their hind leg, it means they're, they're useless. So what happens is this is referring all the way back to the story of Shechem, where Shechem took the, the, the daughter of Leah, which was Dinah, uh, J Jacob's only daughter uh, that we know about, and also the, the, the sister of these two boys, and is raped by Shechem in the land that is now known as Shechem. And Shechem wants to take her as a wife, and through his, his father... Uh, he ends up 
concocting this plan so that uh, he can get her as his own. And then they go before the boys and before Jacob and say, I, I, I want my son to, to be promised to this woman in marriage, the woman that he's already raped and defiled before God. And they concoct this plan, the boys, and they say, you know what? If all our, our sister can't be given to someone who's not a child of promise, so if you, all, you and all your warriors, if you all get circumcised, so you can have her. So they all get circumcised. And while they're healing on the third day, they, these boys go into the camp and slaughter and kill every single one of them. Even in protecting one that they loved, they sinned against God. They murdered and they massacred and even put their own family and their own fortunes at risk. So he's saying, boys, cursed be your anger, for it is fierce, and your wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and I will scatter them in Israel. We see that Levi, the priests, weren't given an allotment of the promised land. And then we'll also see that Simeon's tribe ends up given, be given, is given territory within the southern tribe of Judah and ended up kind of just being sucked in as part of that tribe. Later history always plays out the, the things that we are building upon today. But now we get to the light of hope into the story, which is Judah, verse 8. Judah's the fourth-born son, and he's given the blessing from his father. It says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Wait, 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 hold on. Reuben defiled his father's bed, right? And he was passed over in blessing. But didn't we have that one week with, uh, do y'all remember, with, uh, with, with uh, Judah and Tamar? Do y'all remember that story? Like, wasn't there, what, didn't he not control his own urges as well? Well, what you see in this story, and where we're going to really land the plane today, Judah, unlike his older brothers, or even his younger brothers, Judah displayed repentance in his life. Judah is the one person in the story that you open up and you're like, man, it's a horrible man. Sold his brother. And he's like, no, let's not kill our brother. We can make money on him by selling him into slavery. And you know what? I, you know, I can, I can sleep with my, my son's, uh, y'all, y'all remember that. Tamar was like his oldest son's widow. You know, his other sons refused to, to bring in when, when, when they died, when each brother died and, ends up sleeping with her because he thinks she's a prostitute, ends up she reveals that like, and you know what, from all of that junk, you read Matthew chapter one, the lineage of Jesus comes through that horrific situation. So what we see is Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's son shall bow down before you. Verse nine is an important verse. For all the Bible, Judah is a lion's cub. Where have you heard that before? The lion of the tribe of Judah. You go all the way to the book of Revelation. The only one who was worthy to open the scroll was the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. From the prey of my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares to arouse him. 
the shep the scepter scepter symbolizes rule the rule shall not depart from judah the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords sat on the throne of david judah's tribe ended up producing judah's judah's tribe ended up producing israel's two greatest rulers which were david and solomon even though Saul, a Benjamite, who we'll get to here at the very beginning, was the first king of Israel that they desired, God's, God's plan for all of time was that the, the rule would not be in the tribe of, tribe of Benjamin. That's why Saul ultimately relents to David, who establishes the rule of God's earthly kingdom and points towards his heavenly kingdom that is to come. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Y'all, there's a lot. I, I, you can preach a whole sermon on these few verses because it points toward Jesus. It says, actually, Martin Luther agreed with this interpretation here. Even binding his fowl to the vine and his donkey coat to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his vestures in blood, blood of grapes. His eyes were darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. This isn't talking about just a person who's looking forward to looking fine and going on a good date. This is talking about something that's desirable. The tribe of Judah stood apart from all the other tribes. And in fact, there was a cult tied to a vine that would carry the king of kings into Jerusalem, right? A lot of symbolism here. Not only affirmed in the rule of David, but pointing towards the greater David who is to come, Jesus Christ. Now let's go, and we'll, we'll continue to see Jesus. And in Zebulon, verse 13, shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall, have, he shall be a haven for ships, and his borders shall be Sidon. Now, if you look at the later allotments of Zebulon, he is in the, he's in the northern tribe of, uh, of Israel. He's kind of like in the northern part of the kingdom. Uh, not in the northern, not northern Israel, but like the northern part of the kingdom near uh, Galilee. And you're like, wait, but he's not on the Mediterranean Sea, but he is near Galilee, situated at, in, at, in, a, in a strategic trading portion of the promised land between Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. And we know from Isaiah's prophecy that his land would be important. Because what did Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 9? Y'all know that for unto us a child is born unto us. A... Well, if you read the very first part of that passage, it says in verses 1 and 2, it says, There will be no gloom to her who is in anguish, for in former times he brought contempt into the land of Zebulon. Zebulon, being in the north, was most exposed to, to warriors coming in from opposing tribes and opposing nations and was attacked over and over and over. But from the despair of defeat, the prophet Isaiah says, even with the contempt brought into the land of Zephalon, Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, we'll get to him in just a moment, but in the latter time he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of nations, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light on them, light has shown. There's no more gloom, there's no more anguish. We're going to celebrate Christmas here in a few weeks. Our sermon series is going to be called Songs of Advent. 
We're going to be looking at songs of expectation that we see in the Gospel of Luke. Why do we light candles at Christmas time? Because we're reminded that the light has come. And that the first coming has taken place and we are longing and awaiting the second coming of Christ. And until that time, we are reminded of his truth. In this darkness, we have seen a great light. Now we see verse 14. Of all the brothers, I think I can relate to Issachar the most. Not being arrogant there, because Issachar is good and bad. Issachar is a strong donkey. Okay. Y'all know I'm a strong donkey. So Issachar's a strong donkey, crouching between the sheep folds. He saw the resting place was good and the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant of forced labor. Both good and bad in Issachar. Issachar was strong, but like most donkeys or mules, he was used for forced work. He had to work hard for what was being provided for him. And sometimes his laziness, and this is where I'm being honest with Issachar, Issachar's laziness caused him to lie down. Yeah, he was strong, but sometimes it, it was good to, good to sit back and lay down after church and watch the saints get beat. And, you know, like, you know, so sometimes like, like that, that's me. I'm going to be honest with you. But all hope wasn't lost for Issachar. We know that the chronicler in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, said, O Issachar, men who have understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Maybe they're lying down and resting, gave them time to think. I don't know. There's both good and bad in Issachar. And here's the thing. We can look at all of our children, and we can see both good and bad. Too often we focus on the bad. It takes work to pull out the good. I focus on the bad a whole lot. It takes work to pull out the good. Let's keep reading. Dan, verse 6. Dan shall judge his people with one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way. This is alluding all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The same word is used here for the serpent. A viper by the path that bites horses' heels so that the rider shall fall backwards. I wait for, for your salvation Oh, Lord, Dan is the first son, and some of y'all have these sons. Dan is the first son that Jacob talks about, and then he pauses. And he says, I'm waiting on the Lord. Y'all know that, right? Yeah, y'all have that kid where you need to pause, and you're like, God, I need patience. I'm waiting on you. So what we know is that Dan's name is a play on the word for judge. It's oftentimes throughout history we see the tribe of Dan could have been brutal. While they judged at portions rightly, they judged at other times rather harshly. We see that, that, we see that he would be an accuser. He's accused of being the same type of accuser, of the accuser, Satan, that deceived mankind. And it causes Jacob to pause in verse 18 and say, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Pronouncements here interrupted by a brief moment of prayer. And do y'all know that this is the first point in the Old Testament where the word salvation is mentioned? This word, y'all know what the word for salvation or deliverance in the Old Testament is? Yeshua. Do we know someone else's name was Yeshua? Jesus. Even Joshua's name was Yeshua. But Joshua 
Jesus is the greater Joshua. Jesus is the fulfillment of all this salvation that Israel has always longed for. Then after that pause, he gets into Gad, and he says, Raiders, Gad's name sounds like Raider as well in Hebrew. He says, Raiders shall raid Gad. Gad settled on the eastern side of the Jordan, made him vulnerable to uh, encroaching forces. Uh, but also we know that he was uh, short, but he had some fire in him. Yeah, my, I think about my grandmother, Mamie Carter. Mamie Carter, my grandfather was six, seven and a half. My grandmother was 4'10". Let me say again, six, seven and a half and 4'10". That's why I'm kind of fat and in between, you know? And so that woman, I was more scared of her than my six, seven grandfather. This is Gad. Gad's a feisty little man. Verse 20. And Asher's food shall be rich. Asher was a Cajun. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. What we know from history is that Asher settled on a really nice part of the Mediterranean coast, but he eventually was ruled by the Canaanites in the area. So he was probably cooked good food, and the enemies used that good food for their own good and subjected him to be a good cook. Verse 21, we, we talked about Naphtali already in Isaiah's prophecy. It says, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Some of the Hebrew here is a little bit difficult to interpret, but really what we can see here is that Naphtali represented in the lineage of Israel, Israel's unboundness, that it wasn't bound to a specific area, but Naphtali was like a graceful doe. It didn't really even have a northern border. It kept going. It's not an excuse for modern-day war, but what I am saying is that God's people are not bound. God's people are ever going. Then we get to Joseph, who is, gets the longest blessing. Jacob had the second longest blessing. Joseph has the longest blessing. It says, and we're wrapping up here. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bow. Bow could either be uh, 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 could either be cattle or um, or a, a plant. A fruitful bow by a spring, its branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him. His brothers came after him, is what's being said there. Shot at him, harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. Y'all, many of us need that legacy in our lives, men. We'd be attacked left and right, but our bow will remain unmoved. We're not going to retaliate. We're going to see that God is the one who will sustain. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For there's a shepherd, the stone of Israel. The same word used here for stone is also the same word used for the Ebenezer stone that's erected uh, for the land of promise that God has brought us to this point. Y'all remember Jacob does that. Like God has brought us to this point and he will provide. By the God of the Father who helps you, by the Almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessing of the breast and of the wounds, blessings of your father are, are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills, may they be the head of Joseph and the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Joseph is a man that we can model and follow. Joseph is not the savior, there's one Yeshua to come, and his name is Jesus. 
But Joseph is someone we can look to. Judah is someone we can look to. Someone who was evil and did evil, but ultimately turned around for good. Now we get to the youngest brother. Now this might catch you off guard, but if you know little brothers, they got to fight for what, for, what they, for what they need, right? Liam, you got to fight your sister to get what you need. You know, Ashton, you got to fight, you know, to get what you need. I'm not saying physically fight, but you know, like that happens. Well, this is Benjamin. The youngest brother, the youngest of the 12, is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, devouring the prey, and at evening, dividing the spoil. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them and blessed them with, blessing each with a blessing suitable to them. That's where I want to land today. Blessing each with a blessing that is suitable to them. God enacts blessing. It's not just the words of Jacob here. It's God's ultimate sovereignty through all of creation that sees these things take place. But what we see here is that Jacob didn't have to stretch his words. Yes, Jacob's words were prophetic, but Jacob's words were shaped by his observation of the way in which he saw his boys living. He saw the repentance of Judah. He saw the ravenous wolf of the little boy. He saw all of them. He saw the sins of his three oldest, the disappointment, the despair. I said last week that our goal as a church is that the floor, that the ceiling of our generation would be the floor of the next. The ceiling of our generation would be the floor of the next. Ross boys, Buchanan kids, I'll pick on y'all because y'all are the teenagers in here. Y'all are the future of God's people. You are. And there's work to do. And you know what? I hate to break it to you, Ross boys. You've inherited dad's sarcasm and anger. Like you have, you know? You have a choice what to do with it. You have a choice whether to take it and use it to your own destruction, or you have a choice to redeem it like Judah redeemed it for good. See, we all inherit problems. My father was an abuser. I determined I am not going to be an abuser. My, fa- uh, my father's not an alcoholic, but I've heard that before. My uh, raging alcoholic. My, well, don't drink alcohol. Like, you know, you have a choice. I'm not saying alcohol is evil. Like, Jesus turned water to wine. I hate to break it. The Southern Baptist, his first miracle was like a bartender. You know, that's what he did. But it doesn't give us an excuse to overdo and overuse things that God created for good. We have a choice. If you're an alcoholic and grew up in an alcoholic's family, stay away from it because you're prone and you're susceptible. If you've been raised in, many of us have been raised in broken households. I'm one of them. God's given you ability, and, and, you know, God's done good things. God redeems brokenness even in marriage, even in broken marriages. I mean, Tim Weller has a great testimony that he would love to share with you just about how God, God blessed him and Kathleen. But it doesn't mean that Tim didn't struggle early in his life. You know what? Tim's children have the choice to reverse 
the struggles of their father. Same thing with all of us. Like, I'm not perfect. I'm your pastor. Like, I'm not perfect. We all have a choice. And the only one, the only thing that can get this blessing to come out of us is submission to the one who is ultimately the blesser. And his name is Jesus. That's why it's not Jacob enacting blessings. God enacts blessings. I'll close with this. The wisest man who ever lived was Solomon. We call him the wisest man that ever lived. Actually, Scripture says he was wise. The man had a lot of women in his life. I don't know how wise that was, you know? Y'all should laugh at that, right? He had thousands of concubines. Like he, but yet, the book in the Old Testament that was written that we most often look at for fidelity, attraction, perseverance in marriage is called the Song of Solomon. God can use evil things for good. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. He also complained a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. And y'all know in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this, and I want you to hear this. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Let me repeat that again. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning and better and more impatient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And, and he goes all the way at the very end of his book and he says, when I've looked at all of life, this is ultimately what it comes down to. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will surely bring into judgment every one of your deeds. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. I don't know where you're sitting here today. I don't know if you've killed and raped and murdered and pillaged. And you might look at Joseph's boys and be like, man, I'm doing really good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't give up today. The curses that you inherited from your family, you know what? You can break those curses. And you can let the curse breaker, which is Jesus, tie them up and make them whole. Studies say that Christianity statistically is dying in North America. I do not believe that. I believe God's raising up a remnant just like he did in Israel. A remnant of a new generation of young people who are going to carry that torch forward until Jesus comes. And whatever he, whatever way he comes, right, Abigail, whether he zaps us up and raptures us or whether he comes uh, once and for all, he's coming. And he's coming soon. Are we ready? Lord, we love you. God, I know, God, I recognize that this was a lot this week to really just digest. Lord, it was a lot this week for us to to give. The enemy wants to distract us, wants to, wants to move us away from your promise. But Lord, help us to be reminded today that there's a blessing found in you. Curses are found in our flesh, but blessings are found on you, found in you, and you are a good, good, faithful God. It's in your name that we respond. Amen.